Welcome, golf fans. This is Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, located in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This episode is dedicated to all of you that have played business golf and survived. This is not about the business of golf. There are certainly enough books, YouTube videos, movies, websites, and programs dedicated to the nuances and money generated from the sport of golf. This episode is about some of my experiences playing golf with business partners, clients, vendors, and associates. Business golf and recreational golf share certain things in common. For the most part, you're trying to play your hardest to hit your best shots and score as low as possible. But there is an entirely different element at play in business golf, different than recreational golf. It's like adding an eighth layer to a seven-layer dip. And that layer is, you're still working. I recall my first year working for an international oil company. The company was highly conservative, and I wasn't brought up in a very conservative environment. I was preparing one night for a corporate dinner with some of my other work buddies who were just years out of college. Our supervisor, Larry Sybin, who was ex-military and very conservative, entered into a cocktail party that we were having in one of our hotel rooms. He walked in with a drink in his hand, so we knew he wanted to get to know us and party a little bit. And he thought he would share some sage advice with us. He was short and to the point. He'd say things like, hey guys, we like to work hard and play hard here. Now that was the company mantra. But then he'd say things like, just remember one thing. Even though we're serving alcohol and we have hired a band after dinner to entertain us, don't ever forget one thing. And that one thing is, you're still at work. And you don't want to be the guy that everybody's talking about tomorrow. And I think after he said that, one of our crew actually asked him what he meant by that. And as he was walking out the room, he just turned back and said, whatever you do, just don't show your ass. Now, we didn't take him literally. But later we found out there was a recruit one time that just got hammered at one of our dinners and offsite meetings and thought it would be really cute to moon the crowd. Well, weeks later he was transferred, he later resigned, and as far as I know, the word resigned in corporate life basically means you've been fired and you're just looking for an easy out. Well, Business golf to me is no different than going to a corporate event. I've always sized up my playing partners to best understand what the boundaries were. Were they using golf as a thinly veiled excuse just to drink? If they were, I'd have a few drinks with them. Were their egos so big that they had to win at all cost? Well, I never threw a match, but I certainly knew who the boss was and how important winning was as well. Were they there trying to pry the cart girl from the crowd afterwards? And if they were, best to them. Were they trying to blow off steam? Or were they looking to play a golf course that was either too expensive for their own personal wallet or too exclusive for where they were in life? Now, I don't think any of these reasons are mutually exclusive. Or as my girl always says, some or all of these could be true. My goal most of the time was to quickly figure out my playing partner's motives and their boundaries 
and try and work to stay in balance. And before I start sharing some of my stories, I'd love to hear some of your business golf stories. Boss golf, client golf, making deals on the golf course or after. I mean, it's so common, yet the outlier stories are anything but common. Email me your stories at rbeaston21 at gmail.com or send them to my Instagram page at Tales from the First Tee. During the time I spent cutting my teeth in the business world, I attended a lot of off-site meetings where golf was planned as one of the recreational events. It didn't take long to figure out that most of the decision makers played golf and liked telling their golf stories at work and at dinner the night we had the events. Playing golf and playing well made it easier to work hard and play hard and develop friendships with the leadership team. I took advantage at all of our offsites to try and get in front of the decision makers on the golf course. I didn't have a college swing, nor did I shoot in the low 70s, but I understood the importance of playing well enough to be invited into the right foursomes. It served me well when I transferred divisions to San Clemente, California. I entered the consumer products field, where it was commonplace for vendors, retailers, and manufacturers to have charity golf events. Destination customer outings were also a thing. So I found it really important to try and get better at golf, certainly get better at my job, and try and get myself in front of some of the decision makers. In consumer products, when you'd go to some of these events, all of the manufacturers would try and get in front of the retailers. So it was highly noticeable when your company sat at their table at dinner or played golf with them during the daytime. It meant that they valued you. Amongst all of the hundreds of manufacturers that came in town, there was something special about you. Now that didn't take the place of good business decisions, but it certainly seemed to grease the skids and smooth out the entire process. It just made business better. I recalled having this business relationship with a retailer in East Texas. Now, when I came into the job, our brand had less of a shelf position, less promoted than our competition. And in the entire state of Texas, our brand had better market share. We did business using food brokers that typically had relationships locally with the retailers. So I asked our broker if they could set up some kind of golf event where I could sit down and talk to the owner or one of the executives of this retailer. I happened to get to play with one of the owners, and we had a great round. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, I think we were entered the winner's circle, first or second place. And I made sure when I was spending time with him, I just wanted to get to know him. I didn't want to speak business, and that's usually a curse when you try and do that. But he actually brought it up, and he actually said, so how are we doing? And I think I mentioned something like, well, I think we'd all be doing better if our brand had more shelf space and was promoted more. I mean, we are the number one brand in Texas. Well, he pivoted off of that conversation fairly quickly to talk about Texas barbecue. Now, the owner, Mr. Tyler, was a Texan through and through. 
mean, he, to him, Texas barbecue was the only barbecue. Now, I had traveled to Memphis, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Birmingham, Alabama, and South Carolina, and I tasted a lot of barbecue, and I happened to favor sweeter barbecue. But Mr. Tyler was all about Texas barbecue. We ended the conversation when we shook hands at the 18th Green, and I think we both agreed to disagree. Later that year, I would learn that our distribution and promotional activity at this retailer increased twofold. And I think we had a great sales team. I think we had a great plan. And I think business golf certainly didn't hurt. The next time I was visiting East Texas, I went into the buyer's office and we started talking about our programs. And the owner of the company that I had played with, Mr. Tyler, popped his head in the office and asked how things were going. We started talking, and he immediately said, Mr. Easton, have you tried the Texas barbecue lately? And I just responded, hell yeah, I'm a big fan now. I mean, customer golf can be a tremendous tool. I've also had the experience in business golf to watch a new employee implode and virtually fire himself during a golf outing. James McDougall rocketed through our interview process. After being vetted by six managers and the EVP of sales, he was offered a job. His pedigree and credentials were impressive for such a young guy, and his interview style was infectious. Our EVP of sales had a way of disarming candidates by being self-deprecating and open about his personal life. And he and McDougal had a great first meeting. A few weeks after hiring McDougal, the EVP requested him to be part of a foursome at the off-site meeting in Las Vegas. Now, I'm not sure if McDougal was hungover or still drunk from the night before, but he was in pretty bad shape when he showed up to the first tee box. As the round progressed, he became louder, more boastful, and seemed to be channeling Don Rickles because he was ranking on everybody. During the first nine holes, our new hire kept loading up drinks every time the cart girl came by. It was a little like Luke Bryan's song. When our EVP got up to the 10th tee box, it was his turn to hit. He gets up and he whiffs and then tops the ball. Not but three seconds after that, McDougal had to weigh in and say something. And it was something like, ah, I could see why your ex-wife left you for a golf pro. Well, a few more comments like that became nails in McDougal's political coffin. At the end of the round, the EVP pulled me aside and whispered in my ear, get rid of him. It was like a mob boss telling his hunchman to whack a guy. I mean, you could almost guess that not too short after that, McDougal was transferred and resigned. I mean, in business golf, you can be a hero and you could be a chump. And for me, I just don't want to be the problem. Again, I'd love to hear your business golf stories. Did it help somebody's career? Or did it send them plummeting into the ground in flames like McDougal?
Business golf has helped me see and play some of the most picturesque courses in the world. The Monterey Peninsula in Northern California and memories of the 18th green at Pebble, trying to make a birdie on the 18th hole, now that was a memory. Only eclipsed by my memory of our customer who shot an eagle on that hole. I think we both had a really good day that day. And who in their will would ever write in that they want their ashes spread out into the ocean right by the 18th green at Pebble? Yeah, that's me. I have fond memories of a four-hour wait sitting in a parking lot at Torrey Pines while it was still dark just to get a morning tea time and impress one of our customers. Was it worth it? Hell yeah! The views from the Pacific Ocean, hundreds of feet above sea level, watching paragliders, hang gliders, just navigate their way down the coastline. I mean, that's awesome when you're playing golf. If not for the kikuyu grass and heavy succulent bushes lining the fairways, we could have had a really good day on the links. I've got this really cool memory of playing customer golf in Seattle, 10 p.m. at night, and it's broad daylight and we're having drinks at the 19th hole. I mean, that's just bewildering. Or playing golf in the Rocky Mountains, a mile above sea level, on an elevated tee box, cracking drives that just seem to go forever. There's nothing like it. Business golf in Kohler and Sheboygan, Wisconsin, was as pristine as it gets. Black Wolf Run, Whistling Straits, I mean, they epitomize what money and attention to excellence in customer service can do. Our customers in Chicago would always look forward to a trip where we can go up to Sheboygan and play on Lake Michigan, and it feels like you're playing in Ireland. Whoever thought that a toilet bowl manufacturer would have the foresight and expertise in developing a golf mecca. Well, Herb Kohler did. Now, playing customer golf in Las Vegas is like no other place. The courses have to be good enough to attract you to leave the craps tables, the blackjack tables, or even walk out of a strip club in mid-daylight just to go chase a ball around. I happen to like the three courses up in Paiute, which is a little north of the city on a Native American reservation. In town, I like Shadow Creek or Rio Seco. Or I like taking the drive out to the California-Nevada borderline to Prim Valley, where they have two really pristine golf courses. I mean, they have to be so good that you're willing to drive an hour each way knowing that you could have stayed back and won thousands and thousands of dollars at the craps table or maybe lost that much. Some of our business partners were members of private clubs. Now, that was always a treat, and protocol was always a sensitive subject. Like, where do you change your shoes? Can you change your shoes in the parking lot? Or do you have to walk them in to the pro shop and then be escorted into the men's locker room? I mean, I had the opportunity to go to places like Bighorn, Riviera, Marion, Butler National, and Tamishanter. And I learned that I had to carry my shoes in. I, I couldn't change them in the parking lot, which, by the way, is very comfortable for me. And how are you supposed to know about tipping caddy protocol? I mean, every place I've played where I've had the opportunity to play with caddies, it's always been a thing that when the round is over, there's a certain amount of money that you tip them all except one round of golf that I had at Shoal Creek in Birmingham, Alabama. 
During the summer of 99, I had the opportunity and was invited to play at a very exclusive club in Birmingham, Alabama, Shoal Creek. Now, this course has been around a while, and I think it was, it was probably built not too long after Augusta was built. Matter of fact, there are a lot of the same members that belong to both. The course is pristine, as you can imagine. Traditional layout, oak trees on both sides of the fairways, bent grass greens, maybe Bermuda. They were fast. And a creek that ran through several of the holes. I guess that was Shoal Creek. Anyway, at the end of the round, I tipped my caddy. His name was Earl, and he was a gentleman. He was very kind to me, and he could tell the way I hit the ball, generally what club I needed to hit to get it where I wanted it to go. I mean, he was very good. He could read the greens, and he saw breaks that I never saw. So I felt compelled after the round to give him a tip. Now, that's something you normally do with caddies. I felt it was a very private club, and I'm not sure if it was the right thing to do, but I liked the guy, so I gave him some cash. Well, when I went in for lunch, the member who had invited me to play walked up to me and gave me the cash that I had given Earl back. Now, I'm thinking, oh, geez, you're not supposed to tip, or they have some elaborate compensation system here where they pay these guys so much that they don't need tips. Well, that couldn't have been farthest from the truth. The member who had invited me was part of a family that were founding members of the club. They were long in tradition and short in tolerance for change. What he said to me was, we don't tip our caddies. They end up taking the cash and disappearing for days to sleep off their bender. Well, I was, I was embarrassed for everybody there, particularly Earl. He wasn't about to pull himself out of this class war anytime soon. I felt for him. And as a guest, all I could do was shake my head and keep my mouth shut. So my advice to anybody going to play a private club for the first time is dress like a golf pro. You see him on weekends, if you look like that, then you're following dress protocol. Carry your shoes in a bag and don't use a grocery sack don't use the laundry bag from the hotel, and don't, don't use the Walmart bag that you used the night before to bring in all kinds of paraphernalia into your room. Watch how the members conduct themselves. Now I would keep your cash in your pocket unless you have to pay a bet, which usually happens in the men's lounge or someplace in the clubhouse afterwards. And ask politely if there's any way that you could pay for golf, lunch, or anything that you need in the pro shop. The members will gladly advise you on what the rules are. I'd love to hear your business golf stories, your private club golf stories. Did you have to learn the hard way? Or has business golf helped you? Where have you played? What are some of your memorable stories? And just remember one thing. Business golf is still work. You're still at work. So if you like your job, or you like your industry, play by the rules. If you don't care, do whatever you want. Just remember one thing. Please send me your stories. You've been listening to Rich Easton in Charleston, South Carolina. This is Tales from the First Tee, and I look forward to hearing from you in the future.